Hey everyone, welcome to Setting the Skein. Uh, Doug here, and uh, before we get into the episode today, just wanted to kind of give you just a little bit of an announcement. Um, so uh, the movie we're going to talk about today and some of the topics we're going to touch on in our discussion of that movie uh, could be somewhat traumatic or triggering for some individuals. So uh, I just wanted to uh, bring those to a, to your attention. If the issues of suicide, sexual abuse, or rape, or emotional abuse, or cults is something that you have absolutely any apprehension to, fair warning that this might not be the episode for you. Uh, and if you need to skip this one, that's perfectly fine. Uh, do what you need to do. But just wanted to bring that to your attention. Okay, now to the episode. And welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. And guys, I think the third time's the charm. Yep. We got it this okay. time. Yep. All right, go uh, off. <laughs> we, uh, we are not alone this week. That's uh, true. Uh, but we are short one person. Uh, we, we finished watching the movie. Elijah kind of went, ah! And left. Um, good, so good, Sorry good if you're listening on headphones. <laughs> Goodness. Um, well, I mean, in my defense, that's actually what happened. He, to be fair, he actually did say that before he yeeted out of here. Right. Uh, but this week, we have a lovely guest. Her name is Taylor Frady. So, Taylor, say hi to the people. Hi. Um, I'm Taylor, as Ben just said. Um, I'm a student at UGA working to be an English teacher, but I've got a real penchant for horror. And uh, this week, we're talking about a horror movie, and Doug asked if I wanted to be on the pod, and I said, please. The, and The pod. Yes, and... <laughs> And like Taylor said, you know she is she is a horror a horror aficionado, um, and uh, and that is my cue to say uh, welcome to the first week of Horror October. Uh, you didn't come up with a better name, did you? I really did not. I was thinking about it as we watched you lied the movie. To the people yet again. I I was watching the movie and I was like, I didn't think of a better name. Uh, well, we're we're gonna go with it. Good work. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Well, Doug, it's Horror October. What, what did we start off with? Well, I'm glad you asked, Ben. Uh, so this week, ladies and gentlemen, we watched the 2019 really smash hit Midsummer, 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 uh, Mid- Midsummer. Say so Ari Aster that. pronounces it Midsummer. Okay, uh, but has said that's how that I've heard. Either that pronunciation or Midsummer is okay. Okay, uh, I was curious, so I did look it up. Yeah. So anyway, so <laughs> Midsummer, um, <laughs> directed by Ari Aster, uh, starring Florence Pugh, Will Poulter, Jack Rayner, uh, William Jackson Harper, uh, a lot of Swedish people, crap ton of Swedish people. Um, what are some of those names, Doug? Huh? What are some of those names? I'm not even trying. Swedish names. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, this uh, this movie uh, came out, got pretty solid reviews. has a uh, has an eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, 
3.4 out of 5 on Facebook, 7.1 out of 10 on <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> Did you say Facebook? Look, I just read what Google gives me for the ratings. Facebook. Are they reviewing Already? movies now? Well, speaking of groups that are just reviewing movies now, Google also gave it a 66%. Well, we know that from the past few. Um, yeah, but Facebook now. is new. Facebook yeah. is new. Well, is Twitter reviewing movies now as well? Next week. I feel like TikTok would get into it. <laughs> well... <laughs> Next month. Next okay. next month it's gonna be TikTok. TikTok's not, TikTok's not gonna be here next month. Shh, we're not talking about. Hey, that. this um, is airing in a couple weeks. That could all completely change by then. That's also <laughs> true. Um, and I thought I would have the uh, the box office for you, but well, I, I, don't. I know that it had roughly a nine million dollar budget. And Ducks can hit you with the rest. I have of the box it. Office uh, so gross USA box office twenty seven million dollars, uh, and worldwide gross uh, made forty seven million dollars at the box office. So, fairly successful for a horror film, or excuse me, fairly successful for a normal film, really successful for a horror film. Um, Absolutely. And this is a movie that is, or that was made by probably one of, like, as members of the podcast, one of our favorite production studios, A24, uh, who has made some of our other favorite movies, um, specifically for me, Swiss Army Man. I was about to say Swiss Army Man. Um, Which is my favorite. Favorite individual movie of all time. Individual movie? Yes, as opposed to Star Wars, which is my favorite movie of all time mm-hmm. as a series. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, like, in my top ten list, it's Star Wars, then Swiss Army Man, but if I'm rating individual movies, I would rank Swiss Army Man before uh, The Last Jedi, which is my favorite Star Wars movie. It's well, my twelfth favorite Don't give me movie. that look, Taylor. That is a fascinating take, my friend. Well, you should it's listen. my twelfth favorite movie of all time. Well, <laughs> shout out to A24 for being awesome. Uh, they they did my number four movie, 8th uh, grade. Oh yeah, that's another uh, great one that uh, is also on my list somewhere. Taylor, uh, I, don't th- I don't think we gave you the, uh, I don't think we told you ahead of time that, yes, we talk about movies on this podcast, but a solid third of it is also dedicated to talking about our love for A24. Accurate. Which, I mean, to this point, we haven't gotten a chance to gush about A24. That's true. That's true. Um, And I can't think of a movie coming up, really, that we talk about one either. Um, That's fine. But, back to Midsummer. Um, uh, Speaking of first for this, well, not really first for this podcast, but uh, towards the beginning, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. This is uh, Ari Aster's second uh, feature film that he ever made. Uh, His first one was another A24 film, Hereditary. Which is also really good. And also, also very successful. And also will scar you both psychologically Accurate. and, well, I was going to say physically, but the movie will not scar you physically, I don't think. I don't think we have that technology yet, unless you're physically throwing the movie at someone. Yeah, maybe if you <laughs> pick it up incorrectly and you did a really bad job of it. I mean, I can't say much. I cut myself on a cardboard box the other day, so... Those are the worst. This is our form of banter, Taylor. Look, I hate cardboard boxes. Can we get into it about cardboard boxes? No. No. (laughs) So, Midsommar. uh, Let's get into it. Uh, So, if you don't know the story of Midsommar, um, basically what we have is we have a group of four, five, five five Americans... Um, and two, four Americans, four Americans, one Swedish guy, four Americans, one Swede. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, they go to the Swedes, uh, uh, home commune. Uh, his name is, his name is as you might, uh, once say the Swede mune. Whatever. Um, but anyway, so they go to his commune for their midsummer festival. 
Um, and what they don't realize is that they're in the middle of a cultish plot. Um, that a, will ultimately uh, the lead to practices their... ritualistic sacrifice where over the course of this nine day festival they sacrifice nine human lives. Yeah. Now I do want to mention this because this was confusing to me the first time I watched it. Just getting into like the specifics of how this works. So their midsummer festival happens every year, but they do not do the human sacrifices every year. The human sacrifices happen once every ninety years. Correct. So like that's why Pele is saying like, um, that's why he's saying you know this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for you um, to experience this. And also just to clarify the, I mean I butcher this the Adestupa. Um, that's a thing that just happens whenever need be. When when they have the when elders die, years old. it just happens whenever someone reaches 72 years old. So that's your, like, that's your timeline. So, like, every year there is a May Queen, but every year they don't bring in uh, outsiders to sacrifice. So, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think before this week, Taylor, I think you were the only one who hadn't seen this before. With the exception of Elijah, who, well, with we, the exception who, of Elijah, we, who... May, we made known what his thoughts were. Right. So, uh, Tristan, Doug, tell me about your first time watching this. Well, I can go first. Um, sure, go ahead. So our, uh, so our first, uh, my first viewing uh, was when you, Mr. Ben Tankersley, and our a mutual friend Michael Ruiz uh, dragged me unsuspectingly to see this movie. I was like, "Yeah, I'll go see it. You know, it might be fun." I'd I mean, heard like Midsummer was cool. It was for your birthday, yeah. um, but but I was just like, "Yeah, this will be fun. This will be cool." And then I got in. I was like, "What did you drag me to?" Um, <laughs> and it's really interesting because coming out of that first viewing, I hated it, uh, and. I hate it for really dumb reasons. Like I said, the acting was not good, which I don't know why I said that. That's okay, um, Doug. We're all we're all wrong at some point. Yeah, m- might I add, you hate a lot of movies for dumb reasons. <laughs> Care to quote one? No, but uh, any of our listeners can go back and listen to pretty much any episode where Doug gives something a bad rating. It's probably a bad reason. Okay, I'll unpack that in a later episode. <laughs> um, but uh, you mean when we at some point redo super hate? um but uh but anyway uh yeah so so i had this movie for a really long time and then actually a podcast that taylor and i both know uh called the dead meat podcast james and chelsea i love you both chelsea i texted you about being on tea with doug g on instagram uh messenger but that's neither here nor there um uh they talked about it and through their two and a half hour long discussion, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this movie is pretty cool. It does cool stuff. Just a heads up, we're probably not going two and a half hours, but I can't make any promises at this point. <laughs> uh, hardcore, we will not. Um, so that's my you take don't know on that. it. Uh, Tristan. I saw this, I don't remember who I watched this movie with initially. I think it was with Mikey. I don't know. That's, I think you and Mike saw it for the first time together, and then I got dragged along. Or you saw it with me that first time? Uh, I think it was with Mikey. Cause I, yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I think my first time it was just me and Mike. Because I think you had already seen it and decided, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I saw it and it's a, it's a good movie. 
it's like it's quality like it has good quality is what i'm trying to say <laughs> um but it was one of those movies you watch it and you're like you know i'm okay i've seen it i've seen it i don't need to see that again i'm good i feel I'm, that i can i can uh, live the rest of my life now uh with that happening to me honestly that's kind of how i feel about hereditary saw it once i never want to see that movie again but this movie is completely different. Um, I, too, also saw it with Mike for the first time. Um, and similar to Doug, uh, my initial um, feelings about the movie, I remember I was driving back to Mike and Tristan's apartment, um, and I just turned to Mike. It's like, I I couldn't say anything other than just, like, what did I just watch? Like, over and over. Like, what? Ah! Very similar to Elijah's uh, reaction. I just feel like that's a general reaction for your first viewing of it. Well, uh, it's funny you mention that because we can test that theory. Taylor, coming out of your first viewing of this, what, what's your what's your initial reaction? So I knew going into this that it was going to be a generally shocking watch, I think, because I have seen Hereditary, and that movie will scar you um, if you didn't know. But Absolutely. I knew that. Oh. But I knew going into it that it was going to be a big deal because it got a wide release and people kept saying for like the content that it was, it was a really big deal for it to get a theatrical release like it did. So, yeah, I know uh, originally it was rated NC-17 Yes. Uh, before they cut out um, uh, the half an hour that's added back in for the director's For the cut, extended cut. Which is interesting because I don't feel like that half hour adds a whole lot. Question. That's neither here nor there. Question just for my own edification. Um, are we talking hereditary right now or Midsummer? Midsummer. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know. I don't know what what it is that. I I understand the argument that this movie should be NC-17, but I don't. I think... get that, but I don't get why the 30 minutes would do that. I, I mean... guess the only thing is just like putting it over the top because I, uh, for those of y'all who haven't seen the extended cut in this uh, 30 minute scene that they do add, they attempt to drown someone in a lake who is then saved by Danny. And I think is it a child? I think it's a child. And that's that, probably that what puts sense. it over the top. That makes sense. But anyway, Taylor, oh, continue. no, you're so fine. Um, so I watched it today about seven hours ago and I'm walking away with the same thoughts that I had leaving hereditary. I'm glad I saw it. I think it's another like checkpoint in my poor knowledge, but if I don't see it again, I'm not going to be sad about it. But yeah. Florence Pugh, I'm going to go see uh, the 2019 Little Women like immediately now. Good. You there should. You it's great. Because it's your number seven favorite movie. I'm sure we'll have an episode on that at some point. <laughs> okay, hear me out. Florence Pugh's like breakout role, which you should also see, and it's going to sound really dumb, but it's fighting with my family. It's about wrestling. It's about Paige the wrestler. It's about the wrestler Paige, and it's really good. It's it's really good. This will probably come to, as no surprise to anyone. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I know. As um, a massive WWE fan, fighting with my family is like up there. Yeah. I love how every I love how every time we talk, Taylor, like for a very long time, I find out a new thing that you really enjoy. Um, so yeah, it's just an it's just like an everyday occurrence. Whenever I talk to Doug, he's like, "You like this too?" And I'm like, "Doug, do you even know me?" Well, let's dive into Midsummer. Um, <laughs> how's that for a segue? I mean, it's up there with some of our best segues ever. Yeah. 
I mean, it's not as bad as the time I said, oh, look, another topic, or, oh, look, a segue. Or, speaking of green, you know what's green? <laughs> Ectoplasm. Hey, that was a good one. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the things that I really love about this film uh, is just some of the cinematography. Like, this is a one of the most beautifully shot films I think I've ever seen. Um, I know, Doug, you and I were gushing about the camera work much to Elijah's chagrin because he was kind of sitting between us but just some of the camera shots that we see um one of the ones that really sticks out to me uh is when uh, they are in Sweden they're driving and we kind of like follow the camera as it like goes upside down and then back right side up and then it kind of changes into another scene. Just the whole thing is just really cool. Uh, so while we are talking about cinematography, uh, let's let's bring out another name that I'm about to butcher. Um, so director of cinematography is Paul Pogorzelski. Close enough. Um, yeah, no, he does some phenomenal work in here. And we hardcore did. I mean, I know you're listening to this, but uh, but hardcore, yeah, we uh, we did mispronounce it. Um, so anyway, my favorite shot from this movie, and I actually texted Ben and was like, and was like, "Hey, um, this is probably my favorite shot in the movie." And it's very early on in the in the movie. You have Danny Florence Pugh's character and Christian Jack Rayner's character, uh, and they're in Danny's apartment. And you have Danny standing in the doorway and Christian sitting at like a table or something. Uh, in front of the door and the cameras and the cameras positioned in a way that you see Danny and you see a reflection of Christian in a mirror and that this movie does so many reflection shots it's really cool well if you'll notice like the character who always winds up in those reflection shots is Christian and I think it I think you know we'll we'll speak we'll speak on this in greater detail later but one of the biggest character flaws i think with christian is is he will never give a straight answer to someone he'll never be just straight up with them he's always kind of playing off of whatever the situation is and it's like if you just see him in a reflection you aren't seeing him actually you're just seeing him in the in the uh given circumstances one of my favorite things about this movie is uh, well, it ties into cinematography. It's it's really just the way that they structure a lot of the scenes and the shots because they they'll they'll you know he'll find a place to put a camera and let the whole scene play out without even touching it, um, which is what happened in the reflection scene that Doug just described. But it happens several other times too. And uh, there's a director that I didn't think I would bring up uh, during this episode. Who does that as well his name is wes anderson um so shout out to wes anderson <laughs> um but he i mean yeah i mean that's just that's that's it's something you don't see too often and it's a very uh, stylistic choice speaking of stylistic choices um hey this is a better segue why must we have a segue? it's actually a stylistic choice than what you said made me think of it um this whole movie is designed to make you feel uncomfortable uh, in every single second of the film uh, from like the blinding whites that um, all like the characters who are part of the commune wear to the like distorted music, like everything 
Uh, like I remember specifically with um, the Adastupa during that scene, um, like you have the whites that the people are wearing and you're also blinded by like the geography of the area, like the rocks, the cliff, everything is just like this blinding white. Kind of speaking on that, the more y'all bring up the cinematography and like the stuff that makes you uncomfortable, it really reminds me of The Shining. Like, especially some of the cinematography shots that move the music, not the vocalization specifically, but just kind of like the instrumental music. It really gives me like The Shining vibes. Also kind of touching on that point, I mean, you know, Tristan spoke to this earlier, but, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick, when he was making The Shining, he had a flair for letting shots play out a lot longer than you probably should let them play out. You know, you have a lot, uh, in The Shining, you have a lot of point of view, uh, tracking shots, whereas here you have a lot of panning shots where you'll start in one place and you'll just follow a character the, the, re- the length of the screen, um, so, I mean, you're, it's, it's interesting that we, that we associate these two movies with incredible cinematography that by and large are very unique to the film itself. Um, and they're both films that manage to just give you this sense of dread and foreboding throughout them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a great point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like The Shining, this film makes me feel very uncomfortable when I watch it. Well, it uses characters that we can pretty easily relate to in that they're not, well, they're not dressed in white and live up in northern Sweden. Um, All the main characters are wearing, like, these dark colors, so they stand out that much more from all of the people in the commune. Yeah, and you can even go into the acting a little bit and talk about how, like, our, like, the Americans are, they just feel like we can relate to them in that. We're we're also entering this strange space. Uh, they're going through real struggles, like you know, getting a PhD or you know, struggling with death, things like that. And or even to an, to a point struggling with struggling with relationships. Oh yeah, for for sure. That's one of the biggest parts. I mean, and you go into this strange area, and it's like all of that gets pushed to the side in a way. But even then, it ties in a lot. Like, it all somehow gets resolved within this weird, strange commune. And maybe not in the ways that, certainly not in the ways that people wanted it to be resolved. Um, But it does. So, it's, and that, I mean, that feeds into the idea of talking about circles and cycles, which is what the people in the commune talk about a lot. And how, like, you know, eventually, like, things will work out. Life and death and all that. I'd say the idea of, you know, dying at the age of 72 so you can be reborn into that next cycle. And, like, even their lives as a whole uh, is a cycle. Like, uh, something that I actually picked up on uh, in this watch, or in this viewing, uh, when Pele is talking about the uh, different age groups, the age group 18 to 36 is summer. Which means that at their at this stage of life they are midsummer, which I thought was really interesting, and it was something that I hadn't picked up on before. Hey guys, what's up? It's your pal Ben, and I'm here 
with some announcements. Now, first, I just want to thank each and every one of you for taking some time out of your day just to, you know, listen to this podcast because uh, there are so many other things that you could be doing that and that you would, you know, take some time, you know, an hour or so and listen to a bunch of random people talk about a freaky Swedish cult movie. I Honestly, I think that's really cool. Uh, and, I mean, honestly, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure... I'll get to that at some point in this podcast. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Now, uh, if you're interested in supporting us in more ways than, you know, just listening to us, a great way you can do that is by signing up for our Patreon. Uh, on our Patreon, you can get all sorts of cool bonus content, whether that be early access episodes, bonus episodes. You could participate in our Q&As and a whole bunch of other cool stuff that we do. You can find all of that at patreon.com slash vitermedia. That's V-I-T-E-R. Now, uh, maybe you want another way to support us. Well, I've got great news. We've got merch. That's right. We've got some Tea with Doug G stickers and buttons. We've got some stickers or some buttons from our old Some Trucks days. All that for sale. You can check that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, maybe you want to support us, but... you know, it's the we're still in the middle of a pandemic, you know. You know, times are tough, you know. Money's kind of hard to come by. That's okay. There are still plenty of awesome ways that you can support us. Honestly, you're supporting us now just by listening to this. That's awesome. So thank you. But, you know, some other stuff you can do. You know, don't don't keep us a secret, you know. Tell your friends, tell your coworker down the hall who won't stop clicking their pen. You know, tell people you pass in the streets. Tell the people who sit down the pew from you at church. Tell everybody. Now, the easiest way that you can show us support uh, for a specific show, you can go to the show page on whatever platform you're listening to, uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, and you can leave us a rating and review. Uh, That'll help us with our algorithm on those streaming services and help more people find us. Now, that's all I've got. Uh, be sure to check out the other shows on Vider Media. We've got Tea with Doug G. We've got The Flea Pit. They're both awesome. You don't want to miss them. Now, let's get back to the show. Also, kind of kind of touching on just the, um, the sort of cyclic cyclical nature of of this movie it's really really interesting because uh ari aster has said uh in interviews he said you know this movie for me is and i quote the wizard of oz for perverts um and he says and he says if you look at it from the point of view that danny feels danny is like dorothy in essence um, we start the movie with her Kansas sequence, a point in her life where she desperately wants to get out. She wants something. In Danny's case, she just wants something that is different, something that hopefully is better, but something that's different. You have her leave Kansas and go over the rainbow to the commune, in which case, and this is crazy, Pele becomes the twister, um becomes this force of nature that she gets caught up in uh and leads to this to this new life and while she's in oz quote unquote she experiences all of this change uh both internally and externally um 
And whereas Wizard of Oz, Dorothy wakes back up in Kansas, appreciating what she has, uh, appreciating the life that she has and everything like that, Danny, by the end of it, has not gone back to Kansas, but in her mind she thinks, I'm finally right, I'm finally back where I needed to be in my life, which is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something that I thought was interesting. I wasn't really watching for it. But I think at the end when she smiles, I think that's the first time in the movie. It is. It's she, the first she time she smiles. smiles in the movie. And like thinking about that is just horrifying because like she is literally watching uh, like this guy that she's been with for four years, for better or worse, uh, and all of like the people that she came on this trip with being burned alive. Well, Christian is being burned alive. Um, but she's just gone through this deeply traumatic experience. But in a weird way, she has finally found peace in her life. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that? Do you th- do you think? <laughs> I don't know how to word this. I guess. Uh, do you think that sometimes the misfortune of others can bring some sort of actual lasting peace in your life? How do you feel like she was feeling in that moment? about that do you think that's what she felt or what did she feel more than anything it was like a a release like she had all of this anxiety all of this pressure all of this like heavy burden just like weighing upon her and when she finally embraced uh being the may being the may queen um and essentially joining what she considers as this family that burden was finally lifted off. Like, uh, I'm going to talk about something that, uh, Tristan, I know you did not like about this movie. Uh, the scene at the end, um, where the, uh, various members of the commune are with Danny and they are, uh, wailing with her after she's just seen, um, the sex scene with Christian. And like, I think that was in a weird way, like, part of the reason that she was able to feel welcomed into it because she felt like her pain, her struggles were being shared by the other members of this family. This is, I think you could make a strong argument. that This movie is in essence about Danny understanding, maybe not understanding who she is, but under like getting through this, this traumatic relationship that she had with her, her boyfriend oh i mean absolutely i mean uh i think it's in that same article that uh doug was reading from but ari aster actually says that this movie is about a relationship uh i've got the quote here Uh, and and throughout the movie you see i mean the camera zooms in on her it's all like you're you're trying to get her reaction there are times when people are talking like other people are having conversations around her and it just slowly zooms in on her because we're watching her reaction and we're trying to figure out what's going on in in her mind so i found the quote uh, here Ari Aster says for me the film is incidentally a folk horror film uh, if anything this is my attempt at making a big operatic breakup movie that feels the way a breakup feels that sort of makes literal those feelings where a breakup can feel apocalyptic like the world is ending and so there's a pleasure in taking a movie to that extreme and I just think that's a really cool way to look at this movie like having gone through a breakup um Obviously, it was a different situation from the movie that we watched, that relationship. But breakups suck. Like, it kind of feels like the world is ending. 
Uh, and especially like having this uh, with Danny, having this four year relationship with this guy who, from what we can tell, really did not want to be in that relationship. And, but she was in a position like where she um, was like leaning on him constantly uh, for like emotional support. Like, I can't imagine how difficult that like a breakup would be for her. Uh, so I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think Ari Aster makes a great point in making this a breakup movie. However, um, I, I think this is a decent place for us to segue into, uh, an overall discussion of the characters and their flaws and what better one to talk about than Christian? Because I don't think Christian is inherently a terrible person. I think he's a person who you, we see at the very beginning of the movie. Like clearly, he wants out of this relationship with Danny. He he does not want to do it. But then you get the horrible opening scene where her entire family is is killed, and. I mean, at that point, I'm not saying we're meant to empathize with Christian, but you can, you can empathize with him because, like, you, there's there's nothing you can do at that point. Like you, like if you are if you are anywhere close to like a decent human being, you will not break up with her at that point. You will try and offer whatever support you can. The problem is, though, he was already trying to back out of the relationship. And because he's already put himself at a distance, and he wants to not only be at a distance, he wants to be done with it. I mean, it kind of... I'm not saying he's justified in it, but I can understand where he's coming from. So I'm not that mad at him. Um, again, I don't, Again, I don't think we're supposed to empathize with him, but yes. So I get where you're coming from. However, I I very much disagree. I I do think Christian is kind of a crappy person because like I get like you know he doesn't want to be in that relationship, but to an extent you can still kind of tell he cares about her a little bit, but he goes out of his way to not show that he cares about her. Like he forgets how long they've even been dating. Which if you've been dating someone for four years, you know how long you've been dating them. He forgets her birthday, and uh, like you were talking about um, with the uh, mirror shots that we see, like it's always him in the mirror. Like he never does anything on his own. He's always bouncing off of someone's. So like you've got him stealing someone else's thesis idea. Like he's not a great person. Yeah, and to speak to that, we also have to talk about how a he didn't even tell Danny he was going to Sweden, and when she said, "Hey." You said you like you you said you have a ticket already. He's like, "Oh, well then let me just leave because obviously it's bothering you." And throws everything back on her, yeah, gaslighting absolutely. her, and she's totally justified in why she's upset. I mean, cuz he was going to be gone for a month. Yeah, and he's sitting here just trying to get the blame off of himself, just bounce it anywhere but uh taking the responsibility for himself and that's not great to do. I mean, I'm not saying in any way he is, like, a perfect person. I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying I don't find him entirely despicable. And I, 
I think we are right to to criticize his actions. I but think like, he has very few redeeming qualities. I think I think he is a piece of crap, but also I think he's a victim of circumstance. I, I think, don't think you can play the victim card here. I don't either, because I think also you got to think about how even though Danny's really going through it in the beginning of the movie, like for sure, you've also got to think that if and when she, you know, heals some from that, you've also got to think about how she's got to realize that he was with her that entire time, but didn't want to be with her because all of his friends know. Yeah, because like they say at the beginning of the movie, like, You've been wanting to break up with her for like a year. So like he's got no excuse. Uh, I mean, he, truly he's he's an awful communicator and that stemmed a lot of these problems apparently from throughout throughout this past year that he's not done anything about his relationship. Well, moving moving off of Christian, because Christian's not the only bad character in this movie. There are plenty of others. Um, uh, first of all, you have Mark, who I think I think his... Who's played by Will Poulter. Who's played who by Will Poulter. He's an incredible actor. Yeah, love him to death. But, you know... He's just kind of a piece of the garbage. <laughs> he's like... Is he supposed to be comedic relief? I think so. I think he's I think he's literally just supposed to be the fool. In like a dark humor way. Which kind of plays into what happens with him at the end. Yeah. The jester. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's also the jester in the mural, too, before the... So, speaking on that dark humor thing, um, in Sweden, this movie is actually considered like a, a uh, more of a dark humor than anything. Which is really interesting. I buy that. Which is weird because a lot of people, when this movie came out, a lot of people who were not from Sweden were getting mad at Ari Aster. They were like, how dare you paint Sweden in a negative light? And a bunch of Swedish people came out and they were like, um, we, we find it funny. Uh, don't, don't really know why you're upset on our behalf, but we find it funny. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Will's biggest thing is, uh, not Will, Will Poulter, but Mark character mark i think his i think his biggest flaw is like he is the definition of just human desire like he just wants he wants and he wants an excess uh yeah um so i think it's i think it's funny when you have a character who has so few like deep thoughts deep desires it's very fitting when we see him die at the end and he's literally just a husk of a man. Some of that Im imagery, though, with him at the end, uh, specifically when it's revealed that he's been murdered, is just, I mean, it, only Ari Aster could do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. And then having um, the guy that's, uh, like, that actually threatens to kill him be the one to skin him and then wear his skin, it's dark. He does mention that, yeah. too. I forgot about that. Good to see Will Poulter getting work, though. Oh, yeah. We, we love to see Will Poulter doing stuff. Check out Bandersnatch. You can see him say, you're in the hole. And then there there are just two more characters I want to touch on. Um, so first is Josh, played by, uh, why I just forget his name, um, William Jackson Hart. Got it. Um, and first of all, he's 10 years older than everyone in this movie. He's 40 and dear lord, he does not look it. He looks wow. great for his age. Like, he's great. Also, 
he plays such a good academic character. Um, Honestly, Josh was probably the one I'd empathize with the most. I agree. Which is really interesting because I think Josh's biggest character flaw is he has zero room for empathy. He is purely intellect. Uh He is purely fact-based, fact-driven. I I, I get that. But, like, other than going against, like, the wishes of, you know, the elders, he didn't really do anything wrong. I'm not saying I'm not saying he did anything wrong. I'm saying it's one of his biggest character flaws. Because, like, we even see when he's talking with the elders, he's unable to formulate his own opinions or formulate his own, like, feelings or thoughts on the matter. He's only able to tie it in with what facts he knows. Because you see Pele coming in and like describing like, well this is this is one of our traditions and his immediate response is just, oh well that's like this group's tradition. Uh do you think that they're in any way connect? Like he's incapable of feeling anything uh for a situation or for another person. And I think that's put on wonderful display with the Adestupa, which is apparently my favorite word to say in this podcast. Nothing wrong with that. Um, because, Terrible uh, event, but a fun word to say. Because character, com- character comes in. Christian comes in and says, how are you? And he's like, you know, I'm fine. And all we see him doing is just writing away on his thesis. Uh, so I think I think that is his biggest flaw. Yes, Christian. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Um, we, I mean, you also see Josh, right? Josh. You see him. Uh, it was in someone's apartment. I don't know who's. I guess Christian's apartment. I don't know whose apartment it was. But when they're all there, and I think they all live there. Maybe. Anyway, like, uh, and Danny comes in, and she's, uh, you know, emotional after what just happened, and it's just Josh and Pele mm-hmm. in there. Josh just gets up and goes somewhere else because he can't immediately he's not good at processing emotion yeah empathy so it's just her and pele honestly i I think pele is probably one of my favorite characters in this movie um he's done really well and he's such an interesting character because he goes from like oh yeah he's the swedish friend who invited everybody to getting into like a bit of a love triangle with danny and christian um and i don't know that i would even necessarily call him like trying to one-up christian but just almost like it it's a cultural thing for him for him it's just th- this is this is what uh this is what's done this is how it's done so pele just sees this as i mean i'm not him i'm not part of this culture let me just be clear but i think he just sees that as part of the process so you know he doesn't uh Maybe he does have feelings for Danny in, to, in some way, but I don't. I, mean, I don't I, think I, it's. I think to an extent he very much does. I was. I was only going to say, uh, in this discussion of Pele, uh, because you, you both find him to be a very good character. Is am I? Am I correct? I don't think he's that? good per se. Uh, I think he's a well done character. I think he's well done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I would argue he's he's the closest thing I think we get to a villain in this movie, um, and. And I would say that because... I don't, uh, know. I don't know about that, actually. But. I would say that because um, in this movie, you know, there's a giant cult. Uh, there are steps to indoctrinating people into a cult. 
And Pele, I feel like, is the driving force behind indoctrinating uh, Danny into this cult. Right, but I don't think he's... That, I mean, that's that's not even... A, I don't think he sees it that way. I didn't. I, I never got the vibe that he was trying to. I be would. I would malicious. argue that he does. I, I don't. Argue, I don't think that Pele is being. Um, I don't think he sees. I don't think he sees it as he's being like a bad person. But I think he clearly is. Well, I mean, I think we see some of it, like when he is having that one-on-one conversation with Danny, where he's like, "I know what you've been through. Like, my parents died when I was young." And I was able to have this family to take me in, but you don't have that. And I want to give you that. I don't think he's being like intentionally manipulative. Be like, yeah, come join my cult. So I found this article. It's called uh, Eight Steps to Mind Control. How cults suck ordinary people in. Oh, dear. Step one, identify the potential recruit. We see in the apartment where they all are that Pele, first of all, only person who tries to make an emotional connection with Danny, only person, first person who says, I'm sorry for what happened. Um, and he tries to uh, inform her a little bit about his, about his home, about the culture that they live in. Uh, step two, persuade the recruit to walk into the web. We see once they get to Sweden, we see once they get to Sweden that, you know, everybody's doing shrooms. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. But everyone's doing shrooms, and Danny's, like, a little hesitant. Hold on just a second. Danny's just a little hesitant, and Pele's like, well, don't worry, because we have this other option. Does the same thing, but, like, you'll feel better. So he's like, he's like, don't worry. We'll accommodate to your needs. Yes, Tristan. How many steps is this? Eight. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fast. Um... Okay. Step three, love bombing. We get we get first from Pele with the whole, uh, I understand what you've gone through. I can sympathize with that. I can empathize with that. Um, and he starts this chain reaction of just more and more people in the group, just pouring love, pouring affection, showing Danny that they care. Uh, step four, sell, sell, sell. Pele is constantly the person who has to tell them that, you know, hey, this is how it's done. Like, you know, don't worry. We under I understand like what you're going through. Um, I understand what you're going through. I get that it looks weird, but trust me, this is just how it's done. He tries to justify everything that's going on. And he also walks up to Danny on her birthday and is like, I do I draw these for the birth for the birthdays. And he's like, what's up? I'm also an amazing artist. Uh step five, tough love. Uh we see we see in that same breath that Pele says, happy birthday, I do these for the birthdays. We see him say, hey, just so you know, um, I got this for you. I know that Christian forgot. Um, I, I totally get, even though Christian is a piece of crap, but we see Pele kind of make that blatantly obvious. He's like, hey, what's up? We didn't forget, but he did forget. And you've been with him for four years, okay? Um, step six... Step six, renouncing loved ones. We see we see Pele and now the group trying to justify why the people who Danny knows, why the people who Danny is familiar with, why they're suddenly not there. And they're saying, don't worry about it. They all went home. They're fine. You're fine. Just stay here. Step seven, the introduction of core beliefs. We have Danny win the May Queen. This is where Pele takes a side step to, I'm just going to say. Okay. We we have Danny uh, become the May Queen. We have, we have that shot of everyone uh, uh, 
collectively breathing with her as she grieves through this. And then step eight, we have zero tolerance of criticism. And at the very end, when Christian and everyone else is burning, we see that Danny has fully been indoctrinated into this and she is fully okay with everything that has happened and she sees no problem with it. And she empathizes with the rest of the group as they uh, cry and wail uh, with their empathy for the people who are being burned alive. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Wow. I think Ari Aster looked that specific article yeah. up and was just like, check, 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 check. Yeah, or just in general did a lot of research into cults and communes. So, yeah. Well done, Ari. Here's the thing. The cult, in regards to like getting Danny in and what they said to her, they, they were not wrong about her friends. They were not good people. No, absolutely not. They were, they, they, like, they were honestly pretty crappy people. So that's the, I mean, that's one of the kickers is like, you know, you have this, this wild cult doing these things and uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I get it. Well, okay, look, I'm not going to lie. Preparing for this movie, I did watch like, a bunch of little specials on cults um but but like a lot of them a lot of them look like that's part of the identification and selection processes you want to find people who are not they may not realize that there's sort of a problem with with the relationship that they're, they're in or the situation you want a person who's kind of on the edge who you can push very easily one way or the other the people in vulnerable states yes. which is precisely what danny is in oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean absolutely i mean given everything that she's gone through she's incredibly vulnerable and is able to be manipulated easily florence Pugh actually said because she went straight into little women after finishing midsummer she used amy as therapy to get over danny i fully believe it i i can't imagine that any of the roles in this film were easy roles. Absolutely not. Like, given some of the stuff that they have to go through. Speaking of going through things, <laughs> I want to talk about this one section of the movie. Y'all can't see my face, but I just gave Tristan a really proud face for using a segue like I would. It's it's uh, it's like, it's probably the climax of the film. <coughs> um, in several ways. And uh, it's during the sex scene. Alternatively, what's happening is Danny witnesses Christian and all these women performing this ritual and that 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 breaks her it's called sex that's the ritual no that's not sex no that's not sex i i, I mean physically yes it it is sex. physically the okay excuse me the act is called sex the ritual is called messed up Accurate. So she sees that through a keyhole in the door, and that is the moment where I mean, up to that point, she was still. I mean, she even went. She went to the barn to look for Christian. She was still holding on to a little bit of like, you know, I need to get him out of here. Like he's still with me. He's still on my team in that sort of sense. But when she sees that, that's when she realizes she is alone. She's in that. She's she begins the in between phase of. Her being with the people she came with and then ending up with this, quote, family that she makes, which is the cult. So she begins this really, really hard period of just like, 
dissociating and 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 just uh, depression is not a strong enough word for what it, I don't even know what you would call it. I don't know, but she goes she feels it though, and she uh, goes back to the uh, the area where they all sleep, and she starts crying, and she's wailing, and um, immediately. Uh, a bunch of the other maids rush over to her. There's like ten of them that rush over to her, and they start. Uh, I mean, they, they start feeling her emotion, or they. That's what they're trying to do. And this this part of the movie, I I I I felt something that I don't think I've felt before. It's it's a it's like a it's like a fear that made me cry, and I I I, I hadn't felt that before. <laughs> It's absolutely horrifying. The definition, I think, maybe. <laughs> so I, I think I'm missing something. Uh, like, what about it is so horrifying for you? Thank you for asking, Ben. <laughs> uh, like, not to like make you like relive it, but no, I, I'm I'm fine. Um. So. <clears throat> This goes several layers deep, but I've already walked you through the context. Hopefully you've seen the movie before listening to this. So, <laughs> but, so you know what? If not, um, spoilers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> duh. So, you know what happened. So we get to this point, and Danny is level one. She just saw something extremely traumatic, and she is going to have to go deal with that. That is level one of messed up. Or at least layer one of messed up. Layer two, uh, she has people who she doesn't really know or associate with come to her aid and try to help her out. And that and and there's but the thing is there's no one else that she knows that can come help her. So so that that, that is all like a, a mishmash of layer two. Layer three, she's grieving. She's trying to grieve in that moment. And she has this group of people around her that she doesn't know, nor can she really relate with. But I would argue that in that moment, she is still grieving. And she and this group by them all, like, heaving together. I'm not saying this negates your point in any way. I'm just saying, like, she still is grieving, but it's the thought, it's the sight of, like, all these other people around her who are saying, we're grieving too, even though they totally are not feeling the same thing that she's feeling, but they're letting her think like we're grieving with well, you. Well, hold on, I'll get to that. So, so yeah. So then we start layer four, which is them actually beginning to emanate whatever she's putting out. They're they're trying, and I would argue being successful with feeling her emotion. Who's to say? I don't know, but I would argue they were feeling, or at least trying their darnest to feel her emotion and and so with all those layers i've said before and this now happening at 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 layer four we have all this stacking up on each other and they are they are they are (laughs) how do i say it (laughs) They are emotionally manipulating her, making her feel like she's part of this family. It's more than that. It's I think it's more than that. You're right, but it, they're perverting, and I think they're perverting grief, and they're perverting an emotion. 
they're trying to weaponize it to get her to join the family. And that's and yeah, and I I think you're right. And I don't but the thing is I never even felt that intent from them. They are actually this is this is what they do. This is just like this is like clockwork to them. This is like we we we're going to feel this emotion with you because we all feel. We're all a family. We all feel this way. You're in our family now. We want you to realize that. So we're going to show you this this service or this part of us. Like we're going to be that for you. And the way they do that is one of the most emotionally corrupt things I've ever seen in my life. And I think like as the audience, like I don't know that we're supposed to see it as emotionally corrupt. Like I think we are supposed to see it as like they are really wanting to care and empathize with her. Like I, I get what you're saying, and like uh, I mean, I very much agree with you. I think it is a very emotionally manipulative thing to do, but we also see them do it later. Like it's not just, um, like them like during the situation. Like every time, um, there is some sort of like ongoing pain or some sort of grieving, they grieve together. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say that, especially with that going, with that scene going on right along with the Christian scene, um, that scene, it's it's very easy to overlook that scene with Danny and the maids, and not see like the the layers with it. And also, you have to think that they've had to have done this before to like draw in new members. Oh, absolutely. Which makes it like even more sick and twisted. I mean, they kind of talk about it briefly because, like, they talk about how, um, like, when they first arrive at the uh, commune, like, they do have to bring in outside people to, like, produce offspring because otherwise um, every child that was born would be born of incest. Yeah, and it's hard for me to... I I agree with what you guys are saying, but it's hard for me to even put words to it. Like, I... I, it's, It's just so... It's just so bad. No, oh, no, trust me, I, I, I get it. Like it, it's, it's not good. Nothing really works that I can call this. That I say, yeah, that's on the money. I just, it's, yeah. So, it's, it's just, it is just bad. Good quality. This good. is what I mean when I say it's bad. Good it's quality, awful. bad. Good, good quality movie. Bad thing because happening. Horrible in the things. <laughs> bad. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Ari. All right, kids, let's rate this thing. Uh, so if this is your first time listening, uh, we use a 1 to 100 scale. You can kind of think of it like a uh, an American grade school scale, A, B, C, D, F. A 100 means that it is a perfect movie. It cannot be rated higher than that. We made sure of it this time, so the scale cannot be broken, Doug. Um, <laughs> and then a 1 means it is the worst movie ever made. It is an irredeemable pile of turds. So who wants to get started? I can go. I can go. Um, So, using my normal method of allocating points to various things, uh, I would give the story of this movie alone 50 points. Um, So, that's where we're starting at. Um, So, I think think this is... I think this is a phenomenal story, start to finish. Um, I would give five points for the music. We in touch on it, but this movie is like... If you've ever been confused of what diegetic and non-diegetic music is, this movie will tell you exactly what diegetic music is. Um, I would give. And what is that, Doug? 
it's music that you see being played on screen. Um, so I would give five points for the music, 15 points for the acting, standout performances from everyone, um, including all those Swedish actors who are actually Swedish actors um, in this movie. And then I got to give 20 points for the cinematography because, dear Lord, this movie is shot gorgeously. So that brings me to a score of a 90. Um yeah, it's a great movie. All right. Uh, well, I am glad to see that I am not the only person giving this movie an A, but I think I am going to one-up you a little bit. I'm going to give this a 93. Um, <clears throat> this is probably my favorite, what you could consider a horror movie. Um, from the story to the cinematography to just how uncomfortable this film makes me, it's everything that I want out of a horror film. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this an 87. Uh, I I th- this movie is I think genuinely one of the if not the most horrifying movie I've ever seen. Uh, and just the scene alone that I talked about, I mean that that should tell you that should that should tell you enough how how I feel about like making me feel that emotion. Like a movie, getting that, giving that to me, and not to mention all the things Doug said about the acting. The acting's phenomenal, and the story relating it with the relationship between uh, Danny and Christian, really good. Yeah, um, actually, after hearing everyone else's scores, I feel like I'm lowballing it real bad. <laughs> um, I'm giving this an 82, so a B minus on a letter scale. But I agree. I think the acting is incredible. I love that Aster has a certain flair for horror. I definitely will see absolutely anything he puts out. But I don't know. It just loses points for me for watchability. Um, and also, like... I, I will admit I'm biased because I I have such a soft spot for slashers. And, like, this is, I guess, kind of a slasher, but also, like, not. But, yeah, I, th- I think a B-minus is respectable. All right. Well, after uh, plugging that into our scorometer. Scorometer! You get a theme song for that. Soon. Thank, you, thank you for that, Doug. Uh, after, yeah, yeah. Uh, after plugging the that into our scorometer, the final score uh, is an 88. So, Tristan, you get to be right this week. Wow. Don't worry. I'll probably go back to being right next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Doug, what are we watching next week? Well, Ben, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so, next week we are continuing Horror October again. Sorry, I couldn't come up with a better name. Well, you Shut did. Up. But it was too late, and we're not re-recording. No, it. we're not. Um, so next week, not we are ta- again. So next week, uh, we are talking about one of my favorite slashers um, in existence, the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. Um, it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a great guest on. Uh, Mr. Lucas Parker is going to be on next week, uh, and yeah. I'm the only one here. Well, Taylor's seen it. Oh, Taylor uh, has seen it. I'm the only one of like the group normally who has seen it, uh, and we are in for quite a time. 
Also, just have to plug um, after you watch it, just know that Felissa Rose, who plays the main character, is absolutely one of the kindest people that has ever walked the face of the earth. And I've heard that. And unlike you, I have not had the pleasure of meeting her. I hope you get that chance one day. I do too. All right. Well, Taylor, thank you for joining us this week. It was <laughs> thank a y'all for having, having you me. Did, did you have a good time? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I officially think I'm a friend of the pod. Please have me on again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but yes. Uh, in the meantime, uh, be sure to check out all of our uh, Viter Media socials. You can check. Uh, I mean, it's just Viter Media is the handle. So check us out. Follow us. Uh, also, buy some buttons and stickers. We still have some left. Uh, and check out uh, the other Viter Media products. We've got uh, Tea with Doug G on Monday nights, and we've also got the Flea Pit uh, that is Michael's movie news show. Uh, so they are both great, and you definitely don't want to miss them. But until next week, when we uh, talk about Sleep Away Camp, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. And I'm Taylor. And this has been Setting the Skein. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>